down, the, 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 the godly love, the familiar love, and they get there, it's not going to work. And we're going to learn that as we study in the Song of Solomon today. Let me just go ahead and state this up front. This erotic love, this eros, this type of love that we're going to talk about today was designed by God to be used in one place. It's, it's in marriage between a man and a woman. I know that's not what our world teaches today, but that's what God's Word teaches. And I'm going to trust God's Word because He designed this body and He knows exactly what is, what, what is important and what makes it work. And so as we look at this today, this is what God has said. And, and anything that, that isn't within His confines, isn't within the boundaries of marriage between a man and a woman, it is missing the mark and it's settling for the less than the best that God has for us. And, and so as we jump into this today, I want you to understand that from the very beginning. And as we talk about this pretty, pretty openly and pretty frankly, I want you to understand this, is that I want to frame it in, in some verses from Ephesians, the fifth chapter, in verse 31. And, and in these verses, what you're going to see is very important, and it kind of shows the importance of marriage. It says, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. That right there is from Genesis 2. That is God's design from the very beginning, okay? And, and so they, they leave the father and mother, they become united, and then the two become one flesh. And then listen to what it says there. This is important. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ in the church. Up there, I thought he was talking about marriage, but down here, he's talking about Christ in the church. You see, we were created to glorify God, and when we do the marriage relationship correctly, it will glorify God. It will point to God, and it will let them know that Jesus Christ is the bridegroom and that we as a church are the bride. So you see, a great marriage is a witness to our Lord Jesus Christ. And that is something that we need to understand. Now, if you've been married very long, you know this is true. If you have a garage, you know this is true. It's the second law of thermodynamics, some laws in physics, and it says that things tend to go from order to disorder. Let's just say you clean up your garage, and in three months, if you don't do anything else in it, what do you got? You got, you got a mess, okay? You know that. If you have a teenager, you tell them to clean their, their room, what's going to happen in a few weeks? It's going to be in disorder again. Okay? That, that's just the way it works. And that's true in marriage. If we don't put some positive energy into our marriage, it will go to disorder. You know how it starts when you're first married and, and your wife has a cold. You say, oh, honey, I'm so sorry. Here, lay down. Let, let me get some chicken soup for you. And, and, you know, and maybe we need to call the doctor. Let, let, let's just figure it out. Give it a couple of years, and you say, oh, uh, go, go to the medicine cabinet and get some aspirin, woman. <laughs> and then, 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 then after about five or six years, you say, hey, there's a can of soup in there if you want it, and would you quit sniffling and barking like a seal? You're bothering me. Goes from order to disorder. What we're going to do today is look how to get it back in the right place, to get it back in order the way that God designed. And we're going to go to the Song of Solomon. And this is the sermon and the sentence today that I want you to hear. And it is, God has a plan for love, marriage, sex, and romance that we will see in the Song of Solomon. God has a plan for love, marriage, sex, and romance that we will see in the Song of Solomon. The Song of Solomon is a, is a, is a crazy book. It's about right in the middle of the Bible, and, it, and it's an account of Solomon and a, and a young lady. 
And what we're going to see in this, this book is they're going to court, they're going to romance, they're going to get married, they're going to enjoy each other, and, and it's a pretty incredible book. Some have wanted to say, hey, this is just an allegory of God chasing after his people. But I tell you what, if you read it, you're going to know that it's about a man and a woman in, in a red-hot relationship, and we're going to see that today. So, uh, so moms and dads, you get to have the conversation if you brought your kids in today. You understand that. And uh, so, but I want you, to, I, I want you to, to see this because it is an absolutely incredible thing. So we're going to jump in in the first chapter, chapter 1 and, and verse 3. And what we're going to learn there is that we need to be attracted to, to the right qualities. We need to be attracted to the right qualities. Uh, you know this, we judge people by their looks, by their wealth, by their popularity, by their power. But we've been told this since we were children, and it's this, is that you can't judge a book by its cover, okay? So what we want to talk about here is moving beyond, moving beyond just looking at the outside and going to seeing what's on the inside. And in Song of Solomon chapter 1 and verse 3, this is what it says, your name is like perfume poured out. Now, what Solomon is saying here is you need to know that that person has a good name. Let me read to you the, the way that he says it in Proverbs 21 in verse 1. He says, a good name is more desirable than riches. A good name is more desirable than riches. What you want to do, folks, is you want to know the type of person you're getting into a relationship with. Why? Because you can't judge a book by its cover. So you go slow, you do your due diligence, and you figure out if they are who they say they are. This is hugely important. But because if you're thinking about spending a lifetime with that person, you need to know that they are who they say they are. Let's go on down to verse 6. Song of Solomon, chapter 1, verse 6. And this is the woman. She says, Do not stare at me because I'm dark because I am darkened by the sun. She is deflecting him, looking at her beauty. She said, don't look at me for that. My mother's sons were angry with me and made me take care of the vineyards. My own vineyard, she's talking about her body. You need to remember that when we read some things a little bit later in here. She's talking about her my own vineyard I had to neglect. The physical is downplayed. But we also learned something else about this woman here. Number one is that she was a hard worker. She worked hard in the vineyard. And she was willing, and it says that she sacrificed her body there through hard work. But we also learned that she's able to submit to authority. We learn a lot about her there, don't we? We, we understand that, that, that she's quite a woman. Now, as you think about this, I want you to hear this because this is where we often look to for our, 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 our role models. And this is, I'm just going to say it, Hollywood has the best bodies and the worst marriages. <laughs> you only need to pick up People magazine and you can hear about all the things that are going on there. You can hear about the marriages that are falling apart. You can go to one of those TV tabloid shows and that's what you're going to hear. And, and you know, they are the rich, they are the famous, they, 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 they have the power and they're most popular and they have a terrible track record. Why? Because they have focused on the externals and not the internals. That's the key. I want you to hear what, what God said to Samuel when they were looking for a king. He says, but the Lord said to Samuel, 
Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Okay? you got to look past the externals. you got to look past that. And this is what I want you to understand right here, is that most of our dating in this world is all about the externals. Uh, there, there's, a, there's this type of dating, I call it PMS dating, pizza, movie, and sex, okay? And, and one of the things that happens in that type of dating is you never get to know somebody. It's all about the passion, all about the heat, and we're going to talk about that in just a couple of minutes. But this is what I want you to understand. you got to get creative. If you're, if you're in a dating relationship, you got to get creative and find a new way to date. I would suggest finding something where you could work together and see how they operate under, under tension. It's to study God's Word together. I, I did this for, for a lot of spring breaks when I was a campus pastor at, at Florida State. We took students on these mission trips, and I will guarantee you every year this happened. There was a couple that was on that trip, and they broke up. They discovered some traits in those situations they didn't like in those people, and there were some couples that got together because they saw something with somebody they loved. How does that happen? You get past the externals and you see what they're really made of. I, I want you to hear this. If you're not married yet, if you're not married yet, I, I'm going to give you a little piece of advice that will save you some trouble. If they won't obey God as a single, they will break your heart as a married person. If they won't obey God as a single, they will break your heart as a married person. If they're not obeying God, can I tell you what needs to happen? You need to, to, to run. Because uh, if they're not going to obey him when you're single, you need to get out of there. If I could say it another way here is don't focus on the external. Don't focus on the external, but focus on the internal and eternal. Don't focus on the external, but focus on the internal and eternal. Second thing that we're going to learn from the Song of Solomon is this. It says not to awaken love before its time. Don't awaken love before its time. In the second chapter, verse 7, it says this. Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you by the gazelles and the does of the field. Do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. Do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. That's repeated three times in the book of Song of Solomon. And it's there for a reason. At the beginning of this talk today, I told you this. Sex had its proper place. That's between a man and a woman in marriage, okay? And that's the way God designed it, and that's the best way. And so this is repeated three times because I believe that we need to hear that in our world today because that's not what practice and that's not what we do. So much of the dating scene, and, and, and this has been the way it's been through the years, it's really about foreplay and arousal to the point that you get your body so revved up that it, that it can't stop. You got this huge body saying, go, 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 and the mind is saying, no, I shouldn't, no, I shouldn't. And who wins? The body. Okay? Pretty simple stuff. And, and so what he's saying here is not to arouse, not to arouse love before it's time. It is uh, in a proper place, and, and it's where we need to be uh, in the marriage and between a man and a woman. Uh, it, th th this is just how it works, and we need to understand that. I had a friend, a, a campus minister. She was a, a campus minister in another campus ministry at Florida State, and she wrote a book called True Love in, in, in a World of False Hope. True Love in a World of False Hope. Her name was Robbie Castleman, and she had these four pieces of advice for couples that were dating. 
And, and, and this is what they were. She said, if you want to remain pure, you keep four on the floor. She meant to keep four feet on the floor. She said, if you want to remain pure, nothing comes off. Nothing comes unbuttoned, unsnapped, or unzipped, and, and you'll keep yourself pure. She said, no, absolutely no erotic touching. And finally, she said, no French or Roto-Rooter kissing, okay? That, 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 that was her word, okay? And so, you know, but, but that's really it because that's all about arousing the body until the point that, 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 that you just can't turn back. So, so, so that's huge. And so he says not to arouse love, not to awaken it before it's time. Now, you guys know this, but I'm going to just go ahead and say it. Passion is a bad foundation for marriage. How many people have I seen that, that, that got married in, in, in a moment of passion and then they woke up a couple of years later and they didn't really realize what they had gotten into because they hadn't done their due diligence earlier? The great philosopher Johnny Cash said it this way, we got married in a fever hotter than a pepper sprout and we've been talking about Jackson ever since the fire went out. You didn't know he's a great philosopher, did you? <laughs> but that's it, isn't it? How many times have we seen that? The passion brings people together, but they haven't found out who they really are. And then one day when the passion begins to fade, what happens? Well, they don't like each other anymore. Now, now there's a great analogy for this, and, and, and it really is a, a perfect picture. And you see it occasionally. You'll see these houses that have burned down, and the only thing that is left standing is a chimney. What happened is the fire got out of the place where it was supposed to be, and we've already talked about that is within marriage between a man and a woman, and it burns down the house, and then it becomes unlivable. This is what I know in a room like this. There are some of you that have already been down that road and have made that mistake. I, I tell you, we have a gracious God because he's about helping people in that. And, and, and this is a verse from Joel 2 and verse 25. And this is what it says. The Lord says, I will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten. I will repay you for the years that the locusts have eaten. You know what that means? That means that if you stop and you turn back to God, he will work in you and bring healing. I, I, I'm just telling you that because I know that this is important and making relationships at last. Number three thing I want you to see in this is you got to deal with the foxes, okay? you got to deal with the foxes. Let me read to you what it says in 2.15. In, in, in Song of Solomon chapter 2, verse 15, it says, Catch for us the foxes, the little foxes that ruin the vineyards, are vineyards that are in bloom. Okay, the little foxes would come along and they would nibble off the blooms and, and there was no fruit in, in, in the vineyard then. Let me translate that for you folks. Keep the deer out of your garden, okay? That, that's the Milledgeville translation. Uh, keep the deer out of your garden, and that, that's it. The, the issue here is those little things that crop up in your marriage, or, 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 or if you're dating, those little things in your, in your dating relationship. What happens is we don't want to deal with them. In the dating relationship, we don't want to deal with them because we're scared that person will walk and we won't see them again. But can I tell you what normally happens? Those little things turn into great big problems that will split people apart. And so what do you do when the little problem happens, when that fox comes, you run him off. And you say, no, we're not having any part of that. So I want to tell you how you're going to be attacked, uh, how the foxes are going to come, and how they're going to chase after you, and the little things they're going to do. Number one thing is money. Uh, number one thing, I could probably ask in here a, a raising of the hands of, of all the married couples and even people that aren't married that have argued about money, and I guarantee you we'd have about 100%. 
Uh, because uh, that's the number one issue they tell me the marriage counselors are dealing with. Great news, come fall, we have Financial Peace University that will help you have some priorities there. The second thing, the second thing is, is intimacy and sex. If, if you're going to fight, that's going to be it, especially if, it's, if you're having sex before marriage, it becomes an issue. And I tell you, you'll save yourself a lot of heartache not going there. This is the thing. With money, it's about communication. And with intimacy and sex, it's about communication. Guys... We use romance to get sex. Women use sex to get romance. You, you've heard it said that the guys are microwaves and women are crockpots. We're wired differently. And if, we, and if we can understand that and communicate with one another, that will help. That'll take care of the fox so you deal with that fox. The third one is family and parents. Have your, has your mate ever said, my mama said, or your mama said, and you got problems, don't you? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you do. And can I tell you, that's why when you go back to Genesis, it says, whenever you're married, you leave your father and mother, okay? And you make some establishments of your own. And then the fourth thing, this one is rising to the top quickly, is technology. Technology. You have a phone, you have a computer, you have a TV, and what do you do? You don't communicate. Communication is at the very heart here, and you know, it, it, is, it is surfing the web, it, it is texting, it is social media, and what happens is that it takes the attention and it, that we need to be giving to our mate in communication. So you deal with the foxes so that they don't destroy and there isn't fruit in your marriage. Fourth thing, fourth thing is to keep the home fires burning. To keep the home fires burning. If you're going to keep a fire burning, you've got to keep adding fuel to it. So I want to read to you what it says in Song of Solomon chapter 4, verse 12. And, and, and this, is what she, this is what he says there. You are a garden locked up, my sister, my bride. He is not marrying his sister. Can I tell you what he's talking about there? He's going to treat that woman like he's going, that he's going to marry just like his sister. And you know what? He's going to protect her like she is his sister. And so he says, you are a garden locked up, my sister, my bride. You are spring enclosed, a sealed fountain. Can I tell you, I'm going to give you the translation here. The translation here, she is a virgin. She, she has not had sex with anybody else. And, and, and it's pretty clear there. And this is what I want you to hear here. Sex is a holy act. You know, sex is a holy act. You probably haven't heard that before, but that, that's exactly what it is. And what holy means is set apart. And it's set apart to be to be between a man and a woman in the confines of marriage. It's a holy act. So we've seen that right now. Can I tell you what happens in the, the next couple of verses? It's the marriage, and we're going to pick it up at the Marriott, okay? Are you ready for this? I'm not going to translate this for you. You're just going to have to, 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 to listen and watch here. It says, in, in, in verse 15 in chapter 4, it says, You are a garden fountain. A well of flowing water streaming down for Lebanon. You remember up in the verse just up there, sealed and locked up. Things are happening now. Awake, north wind, and come, south wind. Blow on my garden that its fragrance may spread everywhere. Let my beloved come into his garden and taste his choice fruits. I have come into my garden, my sister, my bride. I have gathered my myrrh with my spice. I have eaten my honeycomb and my honey. I have drunk my wine and my milk. I'm not giving you the translation, okay? I'm not going to do it, but I do want you to understand this. Sex is intended to deepen relationships through vulnerability, 
pleasure, relaxation. It is a gift from God to help us grow close and strengthen our marriages. If you understand that and you keep it in the right place, it will do wonders. Paul thinks that sex is such an important thing in a marriage. I want you to hear what he says in in chapter 7 of 1 Corinthians. He says, Do not deprive each other except perhaps by mutual consent for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. He's saying, okay, if you're not going to have sex, you need to be praying, okay? Pretty, pretty, Pretty clear there. And then he says, Then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self control. Wow. You see, Paul sees it's important, and he reminds us of it. We've already heard that in the Song of Solomon. So, so I'm just saying, give it the importance you need. And, and, and you need to add the fuel to the fire. Let me tell you what the fuel is. It's a great attitude. You'll fuel the fire by lending a helping hand. You'll fuel the fire by having a, a listening ear. You'll fuel the fire by showing love and respect in non-sexual ways. And by doing that, you know what happens? You, you, you keep the fire burning because it's so important that the only reason you should stop is to pray. Boy, that's, that, that kind of puts it in, in, in a proper place. And, and I, I think it's important that we understand that. So let's go on to number five. Number five, you can expect some attacks. You know that a good marriage will reflect the glory of God. And when a good marriage is reflecting the glory of God, Satan is going to attack. And so you're going to know that that's going to happen. I want to read to you from the Song of Solomon here in, in, uh, in chapter 5 and verse 6. In chapter 5 and verse 6, says, I, and this is the woman speaking, said, I opened for my beloved. My beloved had left and he was gone. My heart sank at his departure. I looked for him, but I did not find him. I called him, but did not answer. I love the book of Song of Solomon because it is so very real. It is about a fight here. They're, 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 they're having a, a fight. Anybody in here had a fight on the way to church? No, I don't want to ask that. Yeah, we all have that. They're all, all taxed. And then listen to what uh, she says in, in verse 8. Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you, if you find my beloved, what will you tell him? Tell him that I'm faint with love. <laughs> well, I tell you what, this is red hot, isn't it? Now, now, I want you to understand this. Marriage, marriage is like a walk in the park. Jurassic Park, okay? <laughs> I just got to tell you, 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 you never know what's going to attack you, okay? It, it, it's going to happen. And why? Because a good marriage reflects the glory of God. I'm going to give you four things that's going to attack your marriage. Number one is sin. Number one is sin. If there is sin in your life, it's going to happen. It might be in the form of greed. It could be in the form of pride. It could be in the form of drunkenness. It could be in the form of infidelity. It could be in any number of things. But if there's sin, it will drive a wedge and push you apart. And so what you've got to do is deal with your own sin. And it will help bring you closer together. And that is just so huge. The second thing that's going to cause a problem is age. Age. Now, can I just tell you, as we get older, there's this thing called the midlife crisis. It usually involves a, a fast car, a fast woman, it's something along those lines. And, and, and this has been my prayer for me. I knew that was coming. From the time I was about 30, I actually began to pray, God, don't let me fall trapped to that. Why? Because I knew there was that possibility. I knew that we, w- we would be attacked in that way. Age? When the passion maybe fades, and if you haven't built on a good foundation, can I tell you what happened? 
everything else is gone. And it's so important. Third thing, laziness. Laziness. I got my woman, and I'm done. I don't have anything else to do, okay? I got my trophy, and I'm done, okay? No, you continue to do the things that won their heart. You know, and that is so important. There, there's, a, there's this verse in, in, in Revelation, and it talks about having our first love. You don't do the things that you once did. And can I tell you what? If you would put the same energy into your marriage now that you did when you were trying to win their heart, things would change. You continue to open the door, continue to say nice things and leave notes. It will make a difference. And then the last one is forgetfulness. Forgetfulness will attack. Those things that are important to you, you remember, don't you? I remember to get my car serviced. I have little reminders that make me do that. Why? Because if I don't service my car, it will fall apart. Can I tell you what? I have reminders on my calendar about things that I need to do for my wife and to show her love. By the way, this is free today. Wednesday is Valentine's Day. Okay? But you already knew that. It's on your calendar. You can remember to do things for your, your mate simply by putting it on the calendar and keeping it well spaced out. All right? You know you're going to be attacked. It's a walk in the park, Jurassic Park, but we're prepared. We can deal with it. One last thing is you got to be free with praise. you got to be free with praise. I'm going to say something here, and you need to hear this, because if you don't, you're going to fall prey to this. If you don't praise and appreciate your mate, Satan will find someone who will. If you don't praise and appreciate your mate, Satan will find somebody who will. How many times have I heard this? Well, they were just nice to me. They showed an interest to me. And, and, you know, we went out to lunch, and somehow we ended up in bed together. Why? Because Satan found somebody that would show them some attention and listen. You've got to be free with praise. I'm going to read to you from the Song of Solomon here. This is the Word of God. Song of Solomon, chapter 7. And this guy is going to praise this woman like, I, I wish I was this good, okay? I'm just going to tell you. He's going to start with her feet, praising her. He's going to work up her body. And he, weak, and he works himself into a fever pitch. Listen to this. How beautiful your sandal feet, O prince's daughter. He'd look at her feet and say, you got some good feet, baby. Your graceful legs are like jewels, the work of an artist's hand. Your navel is a rounded goblet that never lacks blended wine. Your waist is a mound of wheat encircled by lilies. Your breasts are like two fawns, like twin fawns of a gazelle. Your neck is like an ivory tower. Your eyes are the pool of Heshbon by the gate of beth -Rabim. Your nose is like a tower of Lebanon. Okay, don't use that line, okay? <laughs> you got to honker like this, uh, the Washington Monument, okay? No, 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 no. You've got to figure out some better things than, than that there. Uh, your, your, your nose is like the Tower of Lebanon looking toward Damascus. Your head crowns you like Mount Carmel. Your hair is like royal tapestry. The king, and Solomon was a king. The king is held captive by his tresses. Whoa. How beautiful you are and how pleasing, my love, with your delights. Your stature is like that of a palm. Your breasts like clusters of food, fruit. I said, I will climb the palm tree and I will take hold of its fruit. The word of God, all right? <laughs> go, home and tell, go home and tell your spouse, let's get biblical, all right? <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. He started praising her. Can I tell you what? If you start respecting and loving your mate like that, 
it will light things up. We've got to be free with praise. I, I want you to understand this, and this is something that you need to understand. Your mate, your mate needs to be your standard. She was sitting up here on the front row earlier. My wife, she's sitting there. She's over with the, the three-year-olds right now. But I can tell you what, she is my queen, and I'm going to treat her like a queen. She is the standard. All you other women, don't measure up. I'm just going to tell you that right now, okay? You ain't nearly as good as she is. That's why premarital sex can ruin marriages, because what do we do? We compare. And, and, and that, that, is, that is huge. I'm going to tell you this, and I say it to you unashamedly, the best sex I've ever had is with my wife, and I can say that because that is the only sex that I've ever had. And that means there is absolutely no comparison. I know some people have made mistakes there, and I tell you, I claim uh, Joel 2.25, that God can restore what the locust has eaten, but you've got to make the person that you are with the standard. And, and, and guys, ladies now, I understand this is an issue too, is pornography. It, that is no comparison, okay? Uh, that is there straight from the pit of hell. Uh, what you see depicted in pornography is not the way it is in real life. It's not airbrushed. There aren't kids running around. Can I just tell you, absolutely make your mate the standard and praise them. Praise them, praise them, praise them, because if you don't, Satan will find somebody who will. If you don't, Satan will find somebody who will. We started in the book of Song of Solomon, and, and, and it was pretty clear there. You, you look for the right qualities. You, 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 you don't arouse love before it wakens. You deal with those little foxes. You, you keep the home fires burning, and, and you can expect some attacks, and then you let the praise flow. And the reason for that is you want to have a good marriage. And I want to go back to the framework that I set up at the very beginning that we find in Ephesians, the fifth chapter, in verse 31. It says, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. That's straight from the book of Genesis. And then it says, This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. Folks, we were designed to glorify God. Your marriages are designed to glorify God. And if it's done right, what people will see is a witness to our King Jesus, the bridegroom, and his love for the church. And when that happens, when that happens, great things are going on. We'll have fulfillment. We will have a purpose in life. And God will be glorified. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for marriage. We thank you for sex. Father, we thank you that you loved us so much that you created both of those. Father, help us to hear your word. Help us to, to live in the right way so that we can be pointing to you in all that we say and do. Father, I pray for every person in here that their marriage would be a reflection of your glory. I pray for every person in here that they would understand that, that, that their lives were created to glorify you. And Father, for those that maybe have made mistakes, I would just say, simply ask for this, that they could claim uh, the restoration that you can bring to them. Father, we, just, uh, we ask now uh, that you would strengthen us to bring glory and honor to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message. You can keep up with what's happening at Northridge on your mobile device through our Northridge Christian app. If you have any questions about Northridge, you can contact us at info at northridge.online.